Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what happens next after Andrew Scheer's resignation as conservative leader? The party that we've all built together is far too important for one individual. Our party is not a cult of personality. It's not shaped by whoever's name is on the masthead. By the hundreds of thousands of conservatives pound in lawn signs, sit on their riding associations, and donate a few dollars every month. Questions arise over the use of party money to pay for Shear's children to go to private school. We don't know who did what. We don't know who knew what. Uh, we don't know the circumstances at all. So there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And who will replace Shear? And how soon? Today's announcement preempts the, the vote as to whether to have a leadership. It's now become necessary. So it will obviously get started a lot sooner. It's Friday, December 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Bill Curry from the Globe and Mail. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Mark. Let's talk about the big news that broke yesterday. Andrew Scheer stepping down as Conservative leader. I don't think anybody was expecting it to happen this week with Parliament about to rise for the Christmas break. I think there was a scenario that a lot of people were envisioning where he might have taken that time to try to uh, build support and uh, strengthen his position as Conservative leader, but it seems like a combination of events and and uh, reckoning and thinking on his part, he just decided it wasn't going to happen and that uh, and that he was best to get it over with. I guess so, yeah. There was uh, certainly a big surprise that uh, he announced it now. As he said, there wasn't a sense that the caucus was really pushing for a change. There were certainly lots of... Uh, former conservative uh, staffers and that kind of thing who have been chirping on the edges, but it, it didn't seem like it was coming to a breaking point. Um, the one one scenario is that uh, the John Baird report, where he's been talking to a lot of conservatives to decide what the party should ne- do next, even though MPs said they hadn't seen that report, it sounds like he had kind of reached his conclusions, so that might have been uh, a factor um, that Andrew Shear considered, what, what Baird's been hearing and what Baird had to say. Um, I mean, part of it, you got to take him at his word that uh, family considerations were, were an issue. Uh, and then there's this whole issue of his private school, which uh, for his children and, and whether that was paid for through party funds and whether the party officials were fully aware of that. Uh, that's not entirely clear yet, but clearly there were questions that you're trying to get answers to. And amid all the questions about his leadership, Andrew Shear was dealing with questions on that front as well. Yeah, and let's talk more about that private school issue, because it seems like uh, there are people who are raising concerns about it, that party money went towards private school for his kids. Uh, there are other people who are saying uh, this is this is all part of the package that a party leader gets, some support for higher costs associated with living in Ottawa compared to at home in Saskatchewan and, and those kinds of things. So there are people defending it, but one of the issues that I think is still being uh, that that not everybody understands yet is is how many people knew about what the money was being used for, right? That's right. You, so you've got a, a team of people who are in charge of managing these party funds and and deciding whether or not these are kinds of costs that the party should fund or not. And the interesting thing is uh, is that Stephen Harper, the former prime minister, is part of that team that gets to make these decisions. And so we're hearing you know various reports that uh, people on that team that make these decisions weren't fully aware of that. So um, we haven't seen a whole lot of people come uh, public and, and on the record 
explaining what exactly happened. So uh, in, until we get those answers, we're, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of uh, reports based on anonymous sources. So, but, but clearly there's some smoke there, some, some kind of – something's happened with the, the way the party funded that that didn't sit right with some party members. So uh, that's going to presumably come out pretty soon, you would think. Yeah. Uh, we can debate whether or not this is the right decision for Andrew Scheer. He seemed, uh, when when you saw him in the House of Commons yesterday, uh, he looked different from during the campaign. He looked like a weight had been lifted off of him. He he looked uh, lighter and and uh, and uh, happier, frankly, uh, than than during the pressure packed situation of the campaign. So uh, obviously, uh, he he feels it's the right move for him. I think it's fair to say too that it's it's going to be better for the Conservative Party in a lot of ways because there won't be this divisive question uh, in April over whether he stays or goes with people taking sides on the future of his leadership. Well, it's, yeah, it certainly would have been a rough uh, four months heading into that uh, vote. Um, it's certainly no guarantee that he would have got uh, the roughly 70% or so that uh, people think that you would need to carry on as leader. But, uh, you know, a leadership race is divisive as well, so it's going to be divisive for the party for different reasons now. Um, the conservative movement is made up of various factions, the libertarians, the red Tories, uh, the old reform wing, the social conservatives, and, and keeping everybody happy is not an easy job. It's not uh, it's not easy at all to be uh, the leader of the conservative party. So, um you know, is is the next leader going to come clearly from one of those camps, or um, or somebody who's who's able to bridge those divides? Uh, you know, we're hearing a name like Rona Ambrose, who was interim leader, and and I think most people would say she's pretty success. She was pretty successful at keeping all of those groups united during her time as as interim leader. Uh, other names out there, uh, you know, Peter McKay. He's he is, was a, was the face of the old PC party when they merged with Stephen Harper and the Reform Party. So um, that might kind of bring up some some bad vibes from people who remember those those battles. So um, you know how do the the social conservative parts of the party fit? They've been pretty influential with leadership uh, races uh, in the past. And yet you hear a lot of uh, the commentary post-election is that um, uh, Andrew Scheer was too social conservative. So if you need, if they want to go to somebody who's less so- socially conservative, what does that mean for the rank and file social conservatives in the party? Do they uh, do they sit this one out? Do they push ahead? Uh, who knows? So those are the things definitely to watch for yeah. now as, as it gets into a full-blown leadership race. Yeah, and, and we don't know who will be in and who will be out. Already some people have said they're out, uh, Jason Kenney among them. Uh, but uh, we'll see in the days and weeks ahead who puts their name into the mix. And, and we don't even know yet when the when the convention would be held, how soon they would choose a leader. But I think it is fair to say that uh, compared to two years ago when the Conservatives chose Andrew Scheer, uh, I think there was a feeling among observers at that time that the roster of candidates at that uh, in that race was was more of a B-list of candidates and that it didn't have a lot of the high-profile former cabinet ministers, former provincial politicians, and others who uh, you might expect would join the race now with more of a sense that very soon the person who becomes the conservative leader has a chance, a realistic chance, to become the prime minister. 
Yeah, exactly. That, that's a very good summary of it. I think last time, uh, if uh, you're one of those former cabinet ministers, a big name conservative, you might be looking at at that time a recently elected Justin Trudeau government. It's pretty unlikely to go from a majority government uh, to just uh, to losing the next election. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of conservatives were thinking Andrew Scheer is a good guy to keep the party together to kind of. Uh, hold the fort, do a good showing, um, even though he's probably not going to win. And then next time, which now we're at uh, present time, uh, then you pick a leader who has got uh, a better shot at actually forming government. So it's, I think you're right. You, you'll probably get some people uh, like the Peter McKay's who sat the last round out uh, who would be more interested this time uh, yeah. than they were last time. Yeah, so we could see more high-profile candidates in the race this time around. Uh, is there, if, assuming many of them run, is there a, a favorite, do you think? Is, or is it is it a, a bit of a wide-open race? Well, I think Ren, Rona Ambrose and Peter McKay would be the, uh, some of the big names right off the bat. Um, but you know, you, when you think about who fits with some of the commentary uh, out there, uh, the, the kind of the post-election analysis, is that the Conservatives uh, could, should, could have and should have done better in, in the GTA or um, in, in Quebec. So uh, you might be looking for somebody from Ontario or Quebec this time around uh, after having a Western Canadian leader. But at the same time, too, um, you know, some people say they want somebody from uh, the GTA who's less socially conservative, but the party had those options last time. When you think back, uh, Lisa Raitt ran and Michael Chong ran, and they did terribly. There was very little interest in those two candidates among the rank-and-file conservatives last time around. So I don't, I'll be very interested to see, you know, when all this analysis talk uh, gets thrown about about the kind of conservative per, uh, leader they should have, whether that's something that's appealing to the people who are actually going to vote in this this uh, yeah. race. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because it's one thing to win a, a leadership race. It's one kind of campaign, and then it's a different campaign to win a general election. Obviously, now we are yeah, on the, exactly. Yeah, we're on the final day of uh, this session of parliament. This little mini session between the election and the Christmas break, uh, but there will still be some politics happening uh, next week. Bill Morneau is welcoming provincial and territorial finance ministers to Ottawa for some meetings. He's also going to deliver an economic update. So uh, while Parliament won't be sitting, uh, the calendar is not quite blank just yet, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, Monday, Tuesday, he's got the finance ministers in town. So that's uh, where they're going to be talking about things like the fiscal stabilization program that uh, Jason Kenney in Alberta has been really pushing for, uh, whether there could be increases in this fund. It's kind of like an emergency fund to help out provinces that are that are struggling uh, so that'll be a big issue. Uh, all the provinces will get the exact amounts that they're supposed to have for transfers, things like health transfers, presumably that's always a hot topic whenever the uh, finance ministers get together. And then the fall update, we don't have a precise date yet, but uh, Mr. Morneau has said it's going to be before Christmas, and that will be really interesting as well. Uh, always the, the update after an election Finance ministers tend to say, oh, things are so much worse than, than we thought and uh, the deficit's going to be bigger or the numbers aren't as rosy. We're going to have to make some tough decisions. That tends to be the pattern, whether or not we're going to see that again. 
that'll be interesting. Um, it's also the first update since we had those really grim job numbers last week from StatsCan, about 71,000 uh, jobs lost in November. But uh, Stephen Polos, the uh, governor of the Bank of Canada, gave a speech in Toronto on Thursday where he kind of said, uh, you know, don't read too much into the one-month numbers. Jobs are still up for the year as a whole. Uh, and there's a lot of other reasons to feel fairly positive about the Canadian economy, uh, including uh, it looks like the, finally the resolution of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which uh, still has to be ratified, but it looks like that's finally going to uh, close. And, yeah. and he's been saying a lot of businesses were likely on the fence or on the sidelines in terms of making big investments on when, when you're a company that's got supply chains across the border, you might hold off till that's resolved. So he, he expected once this is actually ratified by all three countries, there should be a bit of a boost that comes from that. So all right. those will be kind of things to watch for in, in Morno's fall update. All right, great stuff, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the holidays. Same to you. Bye, Mark. That's Bill Curry of the Globe and Mail. I just informed my colleagues in the Conservative Caucus that I will be resigning as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Edmonton Sun, Lauren Gunter argues Andrew Scheer's resignation was a surprise, but it was necessary. Gunter writes... Given that social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, libertarians, failed candidates, and past cabinet ministers have all complained about his weak campaign in October's election, it was almost impossible for Scheer to hope he would get enough of an endorsement at April's leadership convention. Scheer seems a decent man. Perhaps he deserved a kinder fate. But for the good of his party, he had to go. In McLean, Scott Gilmore calls for the Conservative Party to choose well in replacing Scheer. Gilmore writes... If they replace Scheer with a social conservative, then they will keep pulling their steering wheel to the right and into the ditch, because most Canadians don't share those values. Of course, the party could choose a leader who would resonate with voters across the country and the political spectrum. Where this country goes over the next decade and how it gets there will be primarily dictated by the choice the Conservative Party makes. In an editorial, the Ottawa Citizen argues, Conservatives must use Scheer's departure to put things right. The Citizen writes, The Conservatives await an election post-mortem that must bluntly address how to win back so-called Red Tories, willing to tighten federal spending without sending an unwelcoming vibe to minority or marginalized communities. If the Conservative Party hopes to win the next election, it must decide quickly who will lead it, and that leader must be able to proceed without snipers taking aim from inside the family home. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Canada's Transport Minister will announce today the final set of regulations governing Canada's airlines, as well as the compensation they will have to offer passengers for delays. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, from 9 until 9.30 Eastern Time at the Ottawa International Airport, the head of the Canadian Transportation Agency, Scott Strainer, and Transport Minister Marc Garneau will announce the second wave of regulations for Canada's sometimes beleaguered airline passengers starting on Sunday, December the 15th. Canada's large airlines such as Air Canada, WestJet, Air Transat and Sunwing will have to pay passengers between $400 and $1,000 on applicable flights when passengers are delayed by more than three hours or more in arriving at their final destinations. 
Smaller airlines will have to pay smaller fines. However, airlines won't have to pay compensation for flights in two categories, those that are delayed or cancelled due to uncontrollable factors such as bad weather, or those delayed due to mechanical problems that have been discovered outside of regular maintenance checks. Now, it's a provision for maintenance problems which has some passengers' rights advocates concerned that Canada's air carriers might use that provision as a huge loophole. Some advocates point to the fact that the European countries seem to have slightly more stringent regulations. Mark, these are the second set of compensation regulations announced by the federal government. This spring, Ottawa announced mandatory compensation for passengers bumped from overbooked flights and for lost and damaged baggage. Thanks, Martin. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, December 13th. It's our final scheduled edition of the year. We're going to be back as events warrant or in late January when Parliament begins sitting again. Until then, thank you for listening and have a great holiday season.